Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a wonderful guest on today. I mean, when don't we? But today we really do have a wonderful guest on today. We have the amazing Kelsey Reynolds. And she, in addition to being an amazing person, is also an author of an incredible children's book called Where Do We Go After We Die? And so we're going to get to know Kelsey and also talk about this book. I kind of feel like I'm holding this book up. I feel, don't you kind of, Landon, like we're in book club, right? Landon and I co-host the good book club and we're always holding books up and going read this everybody this is amazing so, <laughs> so it's for like this a one's hybrid for kids this one's made for kids this so. one is for kids which makes me think we almost need to start a little section of the good book club where we talk about children's books because then we're going to get into this today about how post-mormons nuanced mormons are looking for books that reflect more of their new ideology so this is exactly what we're going to talk about today but enough about us and our book club we're here for Kelsey. So I'm going to read her bio and then we're going to jump right in. So Kelsey Reynolds grew up in Provo, Utah. She has a dual bachelor's degree in public health from Brigham Young University and nursing from Roseman University. She previously worked as an RN at the University of Utah Hospital in maternal newborn health before having her first baby, who is now close to one years old. Since having her baby, she started writing and illustrating children's books. In her spare time, she enjoys playing soccer, spending time outdoors, and traveling. She currently resides in Salt Lake City with her husband and daughter. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we actually uh, ran across you in kind of an unusual way. Why don't you kind of explain this sort of roundabout way that you, could, you contacted us? <laughs> Yeah. So it, well, it was actually my dad who suggested that I contact you. I think he was just watching, um, one of your podcasts. I think it might've been Mormon stories with John. DeLitt. Probably Mormon stories book club. Yeah. And he had just said, Hey, there's, you know, this wonderful woman who has a book club specific for post Mormons. And I had found that a lot of people that had reached out to me after my book was published, um, were ex-Mormons like I felt like there was a lot of ex-Mormons that really like it really resonated with them and so I just felt like if I reached out to you maybe could get out to a broader um group of people that way maybe it could help more people and in, in that way so yeah well we're, we're thank you uh to dad first of all and then <laughs> amazing that Kel as soon as I got Kelsey's message and she started to explain her book a little bit and then she sent me a copy and instantly didn't I land? And I'm like, Landon, you've got to check this out because it's just amazing and just wonderful. And then as we talked to Kelsey a little bit to prepare for this meeting and learn more about her, we're like, this is, this is just um, an amazing story and so interesting. So why don't we first go back a little bit and just tell us a little bit about your background, how you were raised, sort of your journey, where you're at, and then we'll talk all about, you know, the book and, and everything like that. Yeah. Okay. So um, I grew up in Provo, Utah. I was born and raised there. Um, I really did have an amazing childhood, um, but I also really fit that mold um, that you kind of need to fit in in order to thrive in Provo, Utah. Um, so I grew up very active in the church, um, was a 100% believer, um, and it wasn't really until I graduated high school and I went away to BYU Hawaii, um, where I first started to have those um, you know, your shelf and you have the little chips in your shelf. So BYU Hawaii was my first experience with having a few of those chips. And then, um, I ended up transferring back to Brigham Young University. Um, I ended up having 
a really good experience there. I really liked uh, my time there. Um, but I was also very just only focused on what I was told to do or what I felt like I was told to do, which was get an education because education is good. I never saw myself having an actual career. I just was looking for a husband, which I found and I'm really grateful for. But <laughs> I wish, I mean, I got my degree in public health, but I never really thought I would do anything with it. Um, I was just mostly going to school just because that's what I was supposed to do. And then I was supposed to look for a family and, you know, do the checklist that you're supposed right. to do in life, graduate, get married, go on a mission. You know, I feel like Mormonism has like that ladder that you're supposed to climb. So that's what I was doing. Um, and then I went on my mission. Um, on my mission, I started to have a lot of cognitive dissonance and um, I was very depressed, had really bad anxiety and that was really hard for me to cope with, especially because I felt like I was just supposed to not feel that way um, when I was living a very, like, as perfect as I could life. Um, and my family, a lot of my family members left uh, the church while I was on my mission. And I really struggled with that. And then when I came home, I think I was just finally open to the idea of finally listening with an open heart and an open mind. And it was quickly after that, that I just decided, um, I don't know, I just went down a different path and decided that I resonated with different ideas in Mormonism. Um, kind of rambling here. <laughs> no, no, it makes sense. And so this is all before you're married. This is not a journey with your husband. Okay, so, so this is what's great. You're not like Landon and I, <laughs> decades so, older. Who, yeah. It's like we might have some inklings. We're like, oh, what are we supposed to do? I mean, you're just, it's so awesome to see that you can just go, I choose this. And I, like you said, the ladder or the path, but, as they call it now, the covenant path, you can just go, you know, which is amazing to make those decisions as you are at the pivotal time, marriage and kids and all of that. Don't you think, Landon? I mean, doesn't that resonate? She is a BYU, which does limit your ability to just, yeah. woo. Uh, <laughs> fact, she was telling us a little bit about that because you, you were at BYU when you kind of mm -hmm. lost your faith or were trying yeah, to- I was a senior. I had one year left um, at this point. So I had met my husband when I got home from my mission and I left when we were dating. Um, we still got married in the temple. And it was like immediately after that, that I was, I was out and done. Um, but when I was in my senior year, we were dating. I was still at BYU, which was really hard because that's when I was like living this dual life and not, not that because I wanted to, but because I kind of felt like I had to, I had two previous friends who, um, had left, like I had one friend who I had reached out to who had left the church and I kind of reached out to her for advice and for help. And she had talked about how she went to go pay off her tuition. Um, because they, it's subsidized when you're LDS and she left the church. And so she wanted to go and pay her full tuition. And when she went to go pay, they were confused and they basically told her, well, now you can't be a student here. And she got kicked out and had to start over at UVU. And it was really difficult for her to like get her transcripts. Um, and then I had another friend who had a coffee maker in his home and he was more of an atheist, but kind of you know, followed the BYU rules because he was also at BYU and one of his roommates turned him in 
and he had to go into the honor code office and be questioned about his like beliefs if he believed in god and like why he was still there and stuff and he he lied um and so i called them asking what i was supposed to do because i had an ecclesiastical endorsement um that i needed to get done and um i was referred to a old friend who was a byu bishop who had known a therapist who was at BYU that would help students like me. So kind of like a black market therapist at BYU. <laughs> I a love that term, black kind of... market therapist. <laughs> yeah, and he really- Only at BYU. <laughs> yeah, but like I was so scared to go to therapy at BYU because I knew you had to be LDS to work at BYU. And so I just yeah. didn't know if I went into therapy. And I knew there was patient, uh, you know, provider privilege, but I didn't know, I don't know. It was just still nervous to go in. I didn't feel like anyone would understand. And I was, you know, when you're in the midst of a faith crisis, you have so many emotions going and it's, it's traumatizing and it's scary. And there's all these emotions and I, it's, you want to find someone you can trust to go with those emotions. So, but I went to this guy and he was amazing and he helped me like figure out how to get through my enthusiastical endorsement. Um, but that was a really, really hard year because I didn't feel like I was living an authentic life because I couldn't. Um, and then once I graduated BYU, I was already in nursing school at the time. Um, and then once I officially graduated, that's when I ended up removing my records. And that was for me a very like cathartic, like uh, cathartic, how do I say that word? Cathartic? Yeah. <laughs> Freeing? Uh, Freeing, like, Freeing. it felt closure, I guess. Right. I could finally, like, let that go. And where was your husband in all this? Because you're dating and you're on the trajectory. Is he following right along? Is there any? He stayed in a little bit longer than me. And we were both okay with that. And I think that that was really healthy for our relationship and our marriage. Um, he eventually did leave. It just took him like a year and a half, maybe after me. Um, he was also no, never like as invested in the church as I was. Like I was like a 100% do or die. This is it. This is like what happens before we were born. This is what happens after we die. We have all the answers. And I think he, when I talked to him about it and picked his brain about it, he was never like a 100% believer. It was more, this is a good thing. It's a good way to live your life go with the flow kind of thing. Um, so when I left, I felt like I, like my whole universe was turned upside down. So I was going through all of the denial, the grief, the anger, you know, until I came to acceptance. And I think for him, it just wasn't as dramatic. It was just a change and it didn't like affect him emotionally. I feel like as much as it did for me. So when you when you were leaving, uh, you said some of your family members had left before. Was that parents? Uh, so did you have support from from home as you started to transition? You weren't all alone. Uh, yeah, and I was I'm really lucky that way because I know a lot of people don't have that. Um, but yeah, my parents left and my brother that I'm a, I have a brother about a year and a half older than me that I'm really close to who had left. Um, and then uh, my sister just wasn't as active either. Wow. It's kind of a whole different world, especially being at BYU. I certainly resonate with all of those uh, stories that you told. I was there too, with roommates turning me in and going to therapy. 
maybe someday we'll do an episode on that. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting to hear that decades later that that same scenario, that same microcosm still exists. And I applaud you for you and your husband to just make those decisions to live a different kind of a life, you know, moving forward, even before you have a family, because that's really important. So that's awesome. So then did you did you work after that? Um, before you had your daughter, you were working. And tell us a little yeah. bit about that, because I think your job um, directly relates to, you know, the book that you wrote and just sort of, you know, your thought process and your mindset. I feel like it's so unique. Yeah. So, um, I was in nursing school because I, well, so I graduated BYU with my public health degree and I really didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. I was like, well, where do I go to get a job in public health? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and I have a lot of family in medicine, um, a couple of physicians, um, in my family. And so I just thought, Hey, I'll go to nursing school. There was a quick program, 16 months, um, got in right away. And it was the best decision I've ever done. Um, being a nurse has completely changed my identity. And I really, really feel like it helped me post Mormonism find myself again. I think a big thing with, um, really leaving any type of religion, um, or starting any new religion is being able to identify like what resonates with you and, you know, figuring out your own moral compass and things like that, giving your life purpose and being a nurse really has done that. Um, especially because I work at the university of Utah hospital. So that was like a trauma one. So we receive patients from all over, you know, Nevada, Montana, a lot of rural areas. We get all the refugees, immigrants, Medicaid patients. We just have a really diverse, uh, patient population, um, prisoners, um, drug addicts, you know, um, and you treat all of your patients with love and care. I don't know. I just feel like when I was Mormon, ironically, I was just such more of a judgmental person. And when I left, I just felt like this door of empathy opened and being a nurse allowed me to fulfill, fulfill that void in my life. Um, and I was just so much more open to people and ideas and I don't know, people's culture and way of life. And it just really opened a lot of doors and just made life like a lot more beautiful in that way. Wow. I love that concept because it's true. You don't mean to judge perhaps when you're in a high demand, high control situation, but there are so many little markers that you look at somebody and slice them up. Can I see your shoulder? Uh, do you have a cup of coffee in your hand? Do you, you know, a lot of them are just so superficial that you instantly judge somebody. So I love that idea of just being open and feeling empathy just flood you. I think that's wonderful. Do you have any thoughts on that, Landon? I think that's a great concept. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, when you started saying that you went into nursing, I, I was wondering about that because the compassion that you have to have as a nurse is just, you know, so much more than any other profession and having, you know, LDS, you have that compassion kind of taught to you, but it's always, you know, you get a call from the Relief Society president, can you bring a casserole or, or whatever, but it's always, uh, it, it's almost always limited to someone within the church, you know, you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta go help brother or sister so-and-so but when you do see people who have that other, you know, that are different from you, it's almost like you shun those people so often. Uh, and especially those who have left the church, those are the ones you really uh, are supposed to shun. So uh, I, I could definitely see that opening, but you also told us that you were uh, neo, weren't you were in the neonatal, right? So you worked with uh -huh. the, uh, with the babies a lot. And I know since this is a children's book, and deals with some serious issues. How did being a neonatal nurse help 
you to write this book or influence your decision to write this book? Yeah. So uh, my job at the University of Utah, um, so it was maternal newborn health, which encompassed three units. So I did uh, maternal newborn postpartum. I did maternal antepartum. So a lot of patients who are very high risk and have to be admitted to the hospital pregnant for sometimes months at a time, sometimes like three months there, there. So you really get to know these women. Um, and then also NICU. Um, so a lot of people, um, you know, think my job working with babies, I get all the time. Oh, you must love your job. It's so fun. You get to hold babies all day. And there are a lot of really beautiful moments. Um, but what's really hard is when you have, um, you know, a mom with twins who has twin to twin transfusion and one baby, which basically means that one baby is kind of taking all of the nutrients from the other baby and has to make the decision of, do I deliver both of these twins early um, at 27 weeks with the chance that both might not survive? Or do I, you know, have to choose to maybe terminate one to let, you know, one thrive and then have to go into your other room and take care of a postpartum mom who just delivered their first baby. And it was IVF that they've been trying so hard. You know what I mean? So you're going from one room and really having to have these like really serious, hard decision conversations. And then you need to kind of put on a face and be happy for your other patient. Um, and I feel like that that's really underrated in our job. Um, and we deal with death a lot. Um, it's not in the same way as other units. Um, but I've had my fair share of being the angel of death and being the last one to hold this little baby before taking him to the morgue. And those are really quite spiritual moments, you know, and I think a big thing with leaving the church is I've, I don't know, they've always growing up in the church and I don't know if this has changed, but I was just always told, you know, you lose the Holy ghost or whatever. But like, I feel like I've just had so many moments of inspiration and spiritual experiences post-Mormonism in other ways. Um, I don't, like, I just, I don't know. They, they're just really special moments and it's, I don't have words to really describe them, but I just, I know they're there. Yeah. I think it's because the experiences in the church tend to be prescribed for you. This is what you're feeling. This is what this means. This is what you should be feeling. And like you said, if you don't quite understand that or fit into that, you're not feeling what you're supposed to feel or, or being able to understand. But then on the other side of it, it's like you're open to anything, you know, you can have a spiritual experience standing on a mountaintop, looking out, you know, over the world or holding a baby or, or whatever it is. So yeah, I love how you describe that. And I wonder, maybe you could talk a little bit about your thoughts of what did you think of death when you were a Mormon, as opposed to views post-Mormon, because post-Mormons I've discovered really have a gamut that they kind of run think some some people are afraid now that they don't have that lds framework i was the opposite i was afraid of the lds framework i thought it sounded so stressful to die i mean you're judged your husband might have another spouse you have to have a movie of your life shown i mean to me you have to remember certain actions and words to even get into uh heaven to me the uh mormon death was really scary <laughs> and once i became a post-mormon and i you know started thinking through things about i'm okay with whatever i felt very relaxed so I don't know, maybe talk a little bit about your, the difference of your points of view, if there was one from before and then after. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of change in points of view, both death on death and on life as well. Um, 
when I was Mormon, I bought into the ideology of the plan of salvation and I found peace in it. I really like how I'm a type A person. So just having like all of these steps and like explanations, even on my mission, I made like a board game of like the game of life, but it was like the game of like <laughs> plan of salvation. And I would do missionary lessons with my little characters and you, you landed on like you drink coffee, like go back and go back get out of jail or go to jail I love that's so funny and, um, oh <laughs> I felt like it did like make sense to me but I was also doing all the things that you know like I was following I was I fit that mold and it I don't know so I was okay with it and then when I left the church I did struggle with death um especially when my dog died that's when I really was like this is this is hard because I don't know what happens and if I'll see my you know loved one again and I've never had anyone else closer to me die at that point um and so that was really hard for me to grieve um and that's when I started to really come to terms with you know what do I want to believe in and what I want to think in and I think it's just really important that people come to terms with like not knowing I think it's okay to not know what happens um and to come to peace with that but it's also okay to hope for you know for something more as well um but the biggest change I saw was and it's you know a good thing and a bad thing but now that I don't know what happens after we die it's made my life here so much more important to me um it's made me have a little bit of anxiety that way because I feel like I need to you know, live every moment and do everything I need to do and want to do in this life, um, before I die. Um, so sometimes I'll get anxious. Like if I'm not, if I'm wasting time in a sense, um, right. so more and, you know, inevitable, but, uh, um, no, I understand that. And I think you come to peace with that. Yeah, no, I understand that. And I think you do come to peace for that with that eventually. Cause I know what you mean. You're like, should I be watching American Idol? It's a waste of time. I better go do something else. <laughs> but then you realize, you know, I, I think you get to a point where you realize that I, I do understand that. that and it sounds that like you are a type A personality. Happy and brings yeah. you joy, then that's yes. what matters. Yeah, so. you need to make a new board game, right? That's it. <laughs> you know, moving, there's no going back, there's I only mean, going forward. I think that's the wonderful. biggest thing is not living for the future, right? Yes. Because when you believe it's okay, I guess, to believe in a heaven and things like that. But if you're living your whole life to live to, you know, to get to heaven, you kind of miss out on this being your own, like you can make this your heaven. Yeah. Uh, And that idea endure to the end almost makes it like, oh, you've got to live a painful life uh, so that you will have joy on the other side rather than, no, you can have joy right now. That's now's the time to have joy. This may be all that you get. So enjoy yeah. it now and live it now. And and that's, that's the, the beauty biggest of it. change for me post-Mormon. Um, that's really helped me is just I've enjoyed life so much more. A lot of depression that I used to have, I feel like was focused on the church. And I think that came from a lot of perfectionism, mm. trying to be perfect. Um, all the stress that comes with the church and my anxiety has increased post-Mormonism, but my depression has decreased. So <laughs> it's true. We all, we all live in the church going, am I going to make it? Yeah. And the one thing in your book, you know, we all make it, we all make it to death. Uh, <laughs> That's we're all going to make it to That's that right. point. So, you know, live your life because we're, we'll all make it to that point. You don't have to worry about the, the, the other side. Just, just live now. 
So exactly. That... That's as we read a lot of books in our book club um, on on Buddhist philosophy, because, of course, post-Mormons are always interested in what else is out there, you know, that they haven't been exposed to. So there's one um, fable in Buddhism that illustrates exactly what we're talking about. It's called, I believe, the fable of the strawberries, where a man is running. He falls. He's being chased by tigers and he falls off a cliff. And down below the cliff, there are crocodiles. So he's hanging there on a vine. And there's tigers above, there's crocodiles below, and then there's a little mouse that starts eating the vine, right? So it's inevitable. I mean, whatever's going to happen. And what does he do? He notices in a crack right next to him, there's some strawberries growing. And he takes one and he eats it. And he says, this is the most amazing strawberry I've ever had, you know? And there are different interpretations of that. But I feel like that is seize the day in your life. I mean, the inevitability of death, like the mouse chewing on the vine, that's going to happen. You know, there are crocodiles below, tigers above, strawberry, right? It's right there in the moment. So I've always appreciated that because I think growing up LDS, you really do, even if you don't realize you're doing it, you put just a lot of emphasis on what's next. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of times they put a lot of relationships for the afterlife and, you know, heaven and, you know, Um, I just feel like, you know, now is the time to fix those relationships. Now is the time to be with your loved ones um, and not waiting for the afterlife to fix that for you. Yeah, no, that's absolutely beautiful. So you wrote your book before your daughter was born. Is that correct? You worked on it? Um, I I have written a few books before, but this one I specifically wrote um, in January and it was middle of the night, 3am inspiration. I wrote down the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. You, okay. So we have to start. Yeah. About, about this idea, because it's such an amazing idea. Again, I'll just show the cover. It's where do we go after we die for children? And you hear this all the time from post-Mormons. First you hear, well, how will I raise my children with any morals? That's a whole, you know, that's a whole ridiculous question because of course you can raise your children with morals. But then there are these questions that used to be answered when you were a sunbeam, right? You knew it was going to happen. You had this curriculum of the church telling you in a very rigid way, this is what's going to happen. And now all bets are off. And so children are questioning, children are wondering. So just kind of walk us through the process of what made you even think that there was a, a need for this kind of a book. Just go through the whole thing because it's so fascinating. It's just so wonderful. Um, so I actually had a close friend, um, that had passed away unexpectedly. Um, we had gone through our first pregnancies together. And so I talked to her often about, um, you know, all the first time pregnancy stuff. Uh, we worked together. Um, her husband was in uh, residency and my husband was in medical school. So we to talk a lot about that. Um, she ended up having a brain tumor, um, and, really interesting. She always struggled with miscarriages, uh, due to like, I think it was like a body, a blood clotting disorder. But when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor, she started this blood thinning medication called Lovenox. And that in turn helped her to get pregnant. Um, so she finds out she has cancer. And then two weeks after that, she finds out she's pregnant Oh my gosh! Um, through her whole entire pregnancy doing radiation Um, and I remember the first day she came in and said, like, I have this weird symptom. She was feeling numbness on her face. And I remember just telling her at work, like, oh, I bet it's just like a pinched nerve or something. Um, and then her symptoms slowly got worse and worse where she like ended up having to use a walker and it was really hard to see, but she was just the most positive, happy person. Um, she ended up being able to deliver her baby full term, healthy, 
thriving, you know, was no longer needing to receive treatments. Her husband had just finished residency. Um, I don't know how much you know about medical school, but I mean, you do four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and then you do your residency four years. So after 12 years of schooling, they're finally ever going to move to another state and kind of start this really beautiful life. Um, and then I found out three to four months later that she got put on hospice, um, unexpectedly and she fought it for a while and then she passed away in January. Um, and her little baby, um, had the same due date as, or it was like a couple of days apart from my girl. And she actually delivered her baby on my birthday too. Um, but I was just thinking of her, of her baby that she left behind. And it just, I was just really sad. I was crying about her passing and I was just thinking about her family and her, her sweet little girl. And just, you know, and I just thought about my daughter and I just thought, you know, like, what, what am I going to teach my daughter? What, what do I want her to know? Um, and so that's kind of where it was inspired from. And literally in one night, you said you just sat down and it all just came to you. One night, 3 a.m. manic episode, <laughs> and I just wrote it all down. <laughs> well, as a, yeah, as a new grandfather, th this is something that I definitely uh, wanted and, and looked for because my children have kind of gone away from the church as well, most of them. Um, and so uh, with my grandkids, it's like, you know, what do I teach them or how do I how do I teach them? So this is just the very book that I... I love to to see come out because I can read it to them and I can sit there, beautiful pictures, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But mm -hmm. uh, and and very you know very simple, but the message is so good because uh, as someone who's left, you're always looking for you know you can find the books, but they always seem to have that religious connotation of oh this you know you're gonna go off and live with angels or whatever you know, but this one doesn't. It says that might be one possibility. Mm -hmm but there's all these other possibilities as well. And so it just, it's something that I could read to my, to a grandchild and say, you know, Hey, there's other possibilities, but I really love the the, the message of live. You know, what's really matters is that we love each other to, today yeah. and while we're here. And so I really appreciated the message as a, as a new grandfather uh, that, and, and so the book really came to me at the right time. So I, I highly encourage others to, to, to read that. And I'm, I want to get a copy for each of my, each of my grandkids. Uh, to share and, and read that with them. Yeah, that's that's the first thing Landon said when I said, look, this author contacted me and there's this book and it's amazing and started, he's like, where do I get that? I've got to get that. I need that, you know? So <laughs> I think you've definitely tapped into, you know, these questions here. So um, do you think, Landon, maybe now we should just uh, put a couple slides up and maybe we can talk through them because even the process, um, the writing process and then the, the uh, artistic process for it is just amazing. You guys will literally be blown away by this like we were. It just, it's a beautiful book. So there's the cover. Where do we go after we die? And why don't you, why don't you describe a little bit about the artistic uh, process, how you created these amazing uh, illustrations before we start going through some. Yeah. Um, so I definitely knew I wanted to do watercolor um, because I felt like it fit the theme of fluidity, uh, you know, a fluid theme. Um, I think it's important to know that it's okay for our beliefs to change. Um, you know, it's okay to believe in one thing and then have new experiences, gain new wisdom and have that change, you know, over time um, to whatever feels and resonates most with, with our heart. 
Um, and so I really wanted it to be, I felt like watercolor kind of encompassed that. And um, I felt like it needed a lot of like, I don't know, universe and stars and things like that. But I ended up using um, Midjourney AI and Procreate on the iPad to create the images. Um, Midjourney kind of helped me get the seed. And then I would just use the Procreate on the iPad to kind of edit um, merge images together, kind of change it to the way I envisioned it in my head. And, and that's what just blew me away because yeah. the, the, the illustrations, uh, when we got the, the book, we were just going, wow, these are, this is a beautiful book. And, and we were going, I wonder who did the illustration. The so when we got you and we asked and you said, oh, it was me. I used AI <laughs> to generate. <laughs> we were just blown away. Uh, yeah. so very talented that you could do the AI with this because uh, the, yeah. the pictures and we don't have the whole all the pictures in the book. We've just got a few here. Yeah, we're just going to go through some representational ones just so you can see what this is about. So the question is, where do we go after we die? And so I think that I think we put the very first page next. Is that what we have, Landon? The one about um, the stars, yeah. I think, Let if you have it in order here. Yeah. Uh, so, and like Landon described before, just so many wonderful suggestions. So you know, here's one probably most of us grew up with. And now I can't read it because of your little that that's yeah. there. I don't yeah, know. we enter a heaven with a heavenly God. Um, we enter a heaven with a heavenly God. There it is. And again, just a beautiful picture. And, and that's one of the options, right? So you you definitely chose to include that right up front toward the front. It does resonate with a lot of people. A lot of uh -huh. people do find peace with the idea that there is a God or, you know, yep. whether God is, uh, and I, I yeah, so I just wanted to include all things. Um, and, and I like that because you you give them options. It's like, this is okay if this is what yeah, you want to believe. Okay. There's mm -hmm. other beliefs too that are okay. Uh, and you introduce that in, in the book. Yeah, and I just noticed that God has wings, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> do we enter nirvana as taught by the Dharma? <laughs> so again, another philosophy. And I love this because as you're reading this with your children, your children will say, well, what's, what's nirvana? Mm -hmm. And then you can, you know, branch out from there. Maybe there's another book that you can read about that, or you can explain that philosophy. So it's very educational in that way. And, and just again, beautiful, beautiful drawing. I just love that. Oh, this is one of my favorite ones. So it's not, it's not exactly always about, you know, it can be what happens to you personally, what happens to your body or your being, not necessarily where you go or who you meet or who's there. But this one, you can go ahead and read it, Kelsey. Sorry, I'm reading from your book. Uh, it's or be freed from all illness and given a perfect body. So yeah, I wanted to incorporate religious ideas, but I also think it's important to just think, like you said, like what just happens to our soul? Yeah you know, what happens to our body, like, and incorporate, you know, non-religious ideas as well. Yeah, I love this picture. That's one of my favorite ones, because the little boy is so incredibly joyful. I just love it. So this is my favorite, though, because it's very funny. As a post-Mormon, I don't really believe in an afterlife in the way that we, of course, learned it, you know, in our religion. I'm, you know, a hopeful agnostic or whatever that who knows, there might be something. But the thing that I absolutely know is that I have to get my pets back. <laughs> I'm really okay believing that. Like, I don't, people, maybe, or in some form, but my pets. Yes, I guarantee I'll be greeted by my pets. That's my own little ideology that I've created. So this I love. Go ahead and read that. Well, we greet our pets along the rainbow bridge as we cross the stars. Yeah. Yeah. And I for feel like there's something 
really hard about losing a loved pet more yeah. than a family member. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just different in its own way. Yeah, no, it is. And, and our podcast is um, on audio too. So some of you that are listening on audio won't be able to see these beautiful pictures until you purchase the book. But I will tell you just the colors and especially this one about the pets. It's just got some adorable dogs and cats and a beautiful rainbow, you know, and it just encapsulates what you feel that everyone who's passed on, you know, their energy or whoever they were, their essence, it's somewhere good, even if it's only in our memories or our hearts. And, you know, it just, it just makes you feel so happy. And I try to think of this as reading this, like my kids, of course, are all grown or, or how I would have felt reading this as a child. And the whole book is very comforting from the artwork to the wording, just, just to everything, you know, it lets you kind of explore those fears. Cause I believe that as a child, you possibly do have fears about the unknown like that. And, and this book, I think is just very soothing. I think maybe that's what you had in mind. Well, and yeah. I, think, I think the important thing here is, is that usually the death of a pet is the first time a child actually a child, experiences yeah. death or, mm -hmm. or comes in contact with it. So this yeah. is a uh, an important one, I think. Yeah. No, I love it. So yeah, but, but I was saying the whole thing being soothing, I think that's a big part of it. So and just, you know, very calming to read through without being frightening. So, oh, and I love this one. Remember your loved ones and your thoughts and memories. Um, um, and yeah. So, I, you know, the purpose of the book is to go through and explain these are all the possibilities, right, that could happen to us after we die. Um, but we don't know, but you can choose whichever resonates the most with you, whether, you know, whatever that is. But at the end of the day, nobody knows. People who say they know, they don't know. They want to hope to know. But I think the most important thing is we don't know what happens. And so what matters most is the here and the now. Um, and after our loved ones pass away, they aren't necessarily always gone forever because they can remain in our memories and our thoughts and our dreams. And we do carry, you know, them with us in that way. And no, they can still influence us that way. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And this is also for our listeners, just a beautiful picture of a family looking through a memory book of probably past family members. And I think it's, it's so interesting. I find sometimes um, in our religion, our previous religion that it's just kind of dismissed at death. You know, I can think of a family member who passed away. I was very sad. This is like an extended family member, but everyone said, oh, he's fine. He's doing missionary work on the other side. You know, and it was almost like his life wasn't really celebrated because they were fine with him in this made up construct that they had, that he was off doing this other thing instead of mourning in the here and now, remembering, thinking, you know, and I hear that from a lot of post-Mormons that they're like, I now need with my new ideology and thoughts, I need to go back and re revisit the passing of people because I did not, it was more inconsequential. If they, have you given any thought to that? That It seems very interesting like that, that you just kind of, oh, they're gone and they're on the other side and I'll see them again, right? So you kind of dismiss um, mm -hmm. the here and now and the grieving process, the mourning. Funerals reflect that, I think. LDS funerals kind of reflect that a little bit. Yeah, so. I totally agree with that. Yeah. They, yeah, they rarely talk about the person at LDS funerals. Uh, yeah. but they, they do for the you know, for the actual funeral part, but then the end of it, it, it becomes, let's talk about the church and the soul and all of that. And it turns into a, a missionary opportunity rather than a funeral or a celebration of the person. And that's the last thing you hear before they shut the coffin, you know, so, uh, but, but again, this is just representative of just, th these pictures are just, are just gorgeous. And uh, 
the whole book is this way. You know, as I said, we're just showing some examples here. But the oh, whole... just just the tip of the iceberg. And here, I think this was actually my favorite picture. This is so beautiful. Um, go ahead and read that. It's just gorgeous. Um, I'm grateful to share this life together, and I will always and forever love you. Oh, and for our listeners, it's a beautiful picture of a mother just holding her daughter and they're just smiling. And that's exactly what it is. No matter what happens next, which as you say, nobody really knows we're here now and, you know, we love each other forever. And even if we're not together, we love each other. And that's the whole beauty of this book. And so that this is one of the final pages. And I just, the arc of the book is just so wonderful because it just touches on, you know, things that are common. You might see Jesus, you might see God, things that are new. Here's a different religion idea, things that are cute. You might come back as a dog, you know, reincarnated as something else. And I was really impressed that you even touched on because death is scary. You have some pages that say um, with a beautiful illustration, of course, I'm, a, would I be a ghost or will I just, you know, sort of decompose? I mean, these are real things, right? That people worry about and you show it in the book. So you can discuss that if a child is afraid of that, here's a book, here's a picture. They can talk to their mom or dad or whoever's reading the story about that. So I really appreciated that, that you, you uh, took a look at the harder concepts of death that are real, you know? So how did you always think that you would put maybe some of those more difficult pages yeah, in there? I think it's important to be honest with children. Right. Um, I don't think you should ever really like sugarcoat personally. Um, you know, even saying things like, oh, you know, our dog is, we put her to sleep then the little kid can interpret that in maybe the anxiety of, well, when I go to sleep, am I going to, yeah. I don't know. I just think you just need to be really honest with, with them and say, Hey, it is possible that when we die, our body just becomes one with the earth and we decompose, but, and then, you know, talk about the circle of life and, you know, use your judgment with how old they are and what they can comprehend, um, to educate them. Um, but I feel like kids, you know, kids, get little bits and pieces mm -hmm. about death. And I feel like it adds up over time with their understanding um, and with their own experiences and things like that. But I just think it's important to be open and honest with them about real possibilities. Yeah, I love that. And kids, of course, are also very open. That's the thing. You don't really need to hide things because they're going to ask you, they're going to be open about their understanding and their questions. And if they sense that you, there's something to hide or something not to talk about, you know, then they get all closed up too. So as long as everyone is open, then everything can be discussed, even this harder topic. But yeah, this book is just a wonderful catalyst to discuss all those kinds of things that come after. So how can anyone, because I now know that everyone in our viewing audience and listening audience is uh, probably going on Amazon. They're trying to, how can people find this book? It's just, I'm going to hold it up again. It's just amazing. <laughs> um, right now, the easiest way is just on Amazon. Um, okay. Yeah. Just typing in, where do we go after we die? If you type right. in my name, it will probably uh, okay. narrow the search down a little bit easier. Okay. Um, and then there's a paperback. For nine ninety nine, and then a hardcover um, for nineteen ninety nine. I know sometimes there's a couple of bookstores that are selling it for more than that, but just make sure you click on the um, you know all other prices and you'll right, right, right. Check so it do out. Do you have any yeah. local sellers in the in the Utah area that are selling? I I'm selling a couple at my friend's store, Liminal. It's in downtown Provo, um, mm -hmm. kind of right on Freedom Boulevard. And then I have been meaning to go to a couple of their bookstores. I just haven't been able to get around to it yet. But I'm hoping to stop by um, a couple of local bookstores, specifically in Salt Lake, um, 
And then I just barely was able to get it on a publishing company called Ingram Spark so that they can buy directly from there. So I'm going to try and get that through Barnes and Noble. And so so right did now. you self-publish this or did, was there a publisher that picked it up or how did you? So yeah, I've learned a lot about publishing and tradition. There's all sorts of, you know, traditional publishing, self-publishing. It's technically self-published. Um, but what's nice about going through Amazon or Ingram Spark is it's print on demand. So it's not like you have to print 2000 books. Right. You don't have inventory. But yeah, it's just, so that's really, that's how most um, self-published authors go. Right. About. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have, I mean, I think that any bookstore that you approach would want to carry this because I, I so. <laughs> such a, you know, it's such a niche and I just have, I've seen other books about, you know, what are different religions and think, oops. Sorry, my dogs are barking. Landon, you ask some questions while I help them here. But I, I had the same thing happen. I I thought that uh, we might have some dead pets here the way things are going. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's amazing. I, I would I would assume that someone's gonna see this and 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 pick you up uh, eventually and say, could you write more books? Do you have any other book ideas that you're doing or you? Yeah. Um, or did I, I hear that you'd written some? I thought you mentioned that you had some before. That's what I was going to ask you about. Well, I had one that I wrote, same thing. I had a manic episode back in December of 2019, right before COVID. And it was a healthcare hero book. It was um, a collection of poems about different um diseases or illnesses and same thing, teaching children how to respond. So I had one about anaphylaxis, um, what happens when we get a, you know, throat swelling, bee sting and how to do an EpiPen. Um, and then I had one on choking and poison, just common things with children to tell, you know, help teach them what to do in an emergency and what signs to look for. Um, great idea. <laughs> the illustrations for that one though are really hard. So yeah. that's going to be a while. Um, and then I just made a couple of other cute, silly ones. I have one called Moo, I Love You. And it's just like a black and white book with different fonts saying Moo, I Love You. And then at the end, it just is like a giant oink with a pig. <laughs> and then I have two other ones. One's Reading in Rainbow. It just goes through colors. Um, and it's like red rocket going, reaching the stars, tur turquoise turtle twirling in a tutu. I don't know. <laughs> and then it just has like funny little illustrations. Well, you're, yeah, you're so talented. I mean, yeah. being able to write, you're you're doing poems, you're doing uh, the illustrations. And you said you had a little bit of an artistic uh background but not uh, that you were not a real artist by any sense well, after I had my baby I had like really bad postpartum depression she had really bad colic for six months and I wasn't able to go back to work and there was so much stress with like not going back to my job um, because it was such a big part of my identity um, and so being able to do this has really helped fill that void I feel like I you know have a little bit more purpose again and it's a good creative outlet um and it's really helped battle that postpartum depression too so that's been really helpful and, and enjoyable and yeah wow i i feel landon and i think you'll agree with me that we're going to be able to say oh yeah we knew kelsey when right yeah. i feel <laughs> like oh. this trajectory of you know the writing and these ideas and your illustrations i just feel like this is barely the beginning and we'll be able to say oh yeah she was on our podcast once yeah that's right and, and it gave us it gave us an idea at our book club because uh there's so many post-mormons 
we we read uh, as adults but we've never thought of of having you know kids section because a lot of the people are are now out and they kind of say what do i do with my kids and why not uh we could have a section where we say you know here's recommendations for kid books uh, that you can give to your kids or your grandkids probably most of our members probably have grandkids at this point, but uh, who knows? Yes. (laughs) No, that is a really good idea. And we might just have to uh, tap into our new resource of Kelsey and put something together. Maybe (laughs) have a little presentation on, you know, maybe we can curate some ideas for some different books of what would be, you know, what would be useful to a post-Mormon. And wants, you know, if anyone has ideas with what they feel like would be helpful for their kids post-Mormon and wants to collaborate with making a book I'd be happy to either show them how or we could collaborate and work on making one together but I love the idea of like putting something out in the world that is just beneficial for people so yeah if anyone has any good ideas that they want to get out there then um they can reach out to me by my email it's in the back cover of the book that is, that is, you heard it here, everybody. Uh, Kelsey is open to working with people and uh, collaborating and synergizing. This this could be the beginning of something big. I think this is awesome because I think a lot of post-Mormons are like, I can't find anything. Now we need to go from there and say, I'm going to create something, right? For myself and the need that we have in children and for someone else. So this is just awesome. Okay, I'm going to hold the book up again as we end one more time. Where Do We Go After We Die by the amazing Kelsey Reynolds. So everybody jump online, grab this, tell your friends about this. I can't even tell you. And and like I said, we only went through just a few. I mean, I don't even know if I can show you. Just beautiful. I mean, it's just a gorgeous book, just visually stunning. And the message is incredible. So thank you so much, Kelsey, for coming on and thank your dad for connecting us. Cause I feel like that we, you know, ha- we ourselves have some collaborating to do going forward about books and children's books and things like that. So I'm looking forward to that. So thank you very much. So I guess we'll sign off now from Mormonish. Um, do not forget to like and subscribe and you can hit that notification button if you'd like to um, be made aware of when new episodes uh, drop. And please reach out to Kelsey, either like she said, her email on the back of the book, if you purchase the, when you purchase the book, or just in the comments on the episode that I believe we're airing, it should be Easter weekend right now, everybody. So happy Easter weekend from Mormonish and we will see you all next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.